without getting technical or trying to teach people an improvement system, I do think that focusing on process right now and trying to get the hassles and barriers out of the daily work of people who are just trying to focus on um, meeting student needs in any way that they can is a really important role for leaders to play. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. In episode 142, we heard from two experts in the continuous improvement field about the core behaviors leaders can adopt to execute continuous improvement in their organization. Organizations. Today, Dr. John Tucson and Dr. Christina Dixon are back to build on our conversation from episode 142. John and Christina, welcome back to the show today. I'm glad you're with us. So Christina, let's talk, let's start with you today. Appreciate the the conversation that we had last time. And just to continue our conversation today, can you explain how organizations you coach start to use lean thinking, continuous improvement to help eliminate gaps and disparities in student achievement? So let's, you know, talk very specifically about the student piece of it. Sure. I just want to start by setting a couple of preconditions. I think it's important to be thinking about doing this work in the context of creating organizational conditions for sustained and system-wide improvement. And we discussed that more in the prior episode. When you're talking about eliminating gaps and disparities in student achievement, it's not separate from the work of building capacity in your whole organization. I think the other way I'd like to frame this is that we do it by applying uh, A3 thinking or uh, using the scientific method problem solving process that we use for solving all kinds of problems, in this case, applied to thinking about how we eliminate those disparities in in student achievement. And I thought maybe I'd describe uh, how we got started in one district as an example of how to do this. I worked with Bedford Area School District, which is a small district of about 25 500 students in southwestern Pennsylvania. And we did an initial scan of the organization and some of the key stakeholders to try to figure out where we had a a problem in meeting student needs that was preventing us from meeting our vision. And um, in doing that, elementary math stuck out as an area of large disparity and concern. And specifically, there was a large percentage of students who weren't scoring at proficient or better on the state math exams. So we defined the problem as the gap between where we were and every student succeeding on the math exams as a baseline, recognizing that there's more about math we'd like students to understand, but um, at a minimum, we want to be sure that, that they're able to succeed there. So we engaged a group of pilot elementary school teachers and specialists, and we also engaged school and district leadership teams. And I think this is really key because we were setting up 
the pilot team of teachers and specialists working on this problem as a lab for the whole district, learning how to practice continuous improvement in one area so we could spread capability across the organization. And we started with doing some initial training in continuous improvement principles for everybody who was engaged. Um, We also had a couple of extra planning days for the teachers and some additional regular coaching and training cycles for the leaders to better understand their role in the effort. And then together we studied the current state. So we asked ourselves, what's the current work that we're doing that's producing our current results? And we looked at what are the standards that are required by the state? What curriculum are we using? What are our assessments? How are we using? What are our methods of teaching? We looked at individual student learning portfolios and the results that they were getting, how we were grouping kids in the classroom, how does our multi-tiered system of support integrate or not integrate into how we do work in the classroom. And in doing that, we identified some key problems and tried to dig into their root causes and, and understand them better. And in doing that, we identified things like Parts of the curriculum still are not aligned in their content to the state standards. There are some concepts that students are missing year after year, even though we're teaching them. And then things like we don't have a way to know if students are actually learning as expected until chapter tests or quarterly assessments. We don't have a way to adjust instruction or get students extra help until weeks or months after they first have a problem. And so after understanding our current state, we created a design for a target state to address uh, some of those problems. And so we did things like better align the curriculum to the standards. The teachers designed ways to integrate multiple instructional approaches and differentiation into single lessons, especially when they knew that students would have problems or where they were seeing greater need. They planned to spend less time on places where they were already strong. And then I think most importantly, built daily checks for understanding into lessons that could be as simple as the teacher observing during independent work, but could be, you know, more involved and also looking at quizzes and tests as formative assessments. And I know a lot of places do those things already. What they did is they decided that they needed to have a standard for deciding whether students were succeeding or not on a daily basis. And their um, standard that they chose was 85% success, whether it was on a quiz or a test or a performance task, figuring that if they could do that well, they were probably getting enough to be able to keep building their mathematical knowledge. And, you know, this is something that was that they were testing out as well. But basically, they de- they defined any time a student didn't get 85% as a problem that they needed to investigate to root cause. And they were able to know on that day of the quiz or on the day of the test, or even that day when they did the performance assessment in class, that the student needed additional help or weren't succeeding when that, when that occurred. And so then the information was really fresh and we set up mechanisms for teachers to be able to call out problems when they happened and then get help immediately from the other people, the appropriate person on the improvement team to be able to investigate and try to solve the problem. And that revealed some really interesting things about the system. There were 
students as there are in every school district where they needed extra time or a different way of teaching and the they were referred to tutoring but the tutoring was after school and the kid had sports or they didn't have transportation and they didn't show up and rather than just say oh well they're not doing tutoring the next thing was well why um, how can we get them the extra help that they need and they were actually able to shift a lot of their tutors into class to be able to meet the needs of the the students there. Or maybe a student failed a quiz because they were absent for five days and it allowed them to examine, well, what is the home situation? What's our attendance policy that's allowing this to happen? Or maybe half the class failed a quiz because the teacher was out sick and it made us think differently about changing the system of support for substitute teachers so that they could be just as successful with the students in the classroom as their regular teacher. And so those are just a few examples. I think an important last piece of this is that there were regular meetings for sharing and spreading learning so that the learning didn't just sit with the people who experienced the problem, but where there was regular sharing among the pilot team, the leadership team, and then eventually the um, elementary faculty as well. And as people get more confident in identifying and solving problems, that enables them to build their skills to then start to look beyond the pilot site to be able to spread that way of approaching problem solving to other aspects of the school system. Christina, that was a great example. I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to build out that example because I think it really gives us a good picture of what the work looks like and how the conversations occur in order to move the results and how they make the decisions along the way to solve the problems. And I, you know, I think about John, as we go to the next question, you know, I'm thinking, Christine, as as the teachers continue to, to work together, they're really building that improvement culture as they go along. They're understanding how that changes their lives, it changes their students' lives. So, you know, John, as, you know, how has an improvement culture allowed your your organization or center to, to manage through the crisis that we're dealing with now? Yeah, well, I do think it gets back to how are you involving the people that do the work in improvement? Let me give you an example. The Maple View Middle School in Kimberly, Wisconsin, they've been at, uh, the superintendent there uh, has been at learning this methodology for a number of years. And in Maple View, in the fifth and sixth grade, you, the, the student actually does their own plan, do, study, act cycle. So there are several videos out there that show, I here, here is what my current performance is as a student. Here is, the, here is the target condition I'm working for. Here is my gap. And here are the things that I'm going to try. Here are the experiments that I'm going to try to close the gap. And then here's, here's the plan uh, that, that I'm going to use. And uh, many of the students, I think all the students now in that school actually are working on a PDSA for their own learning improvement and what it is that they want to work on. They get to choose what they want to work on. To me, you know, and that's, you know, certainly how we do things at our organization is, is we're focused on using the plan, do, study, act cycle at A3, however you want to describe it, as a way to deeply understand what it is that the problem we're actually trying to solve. So if you get the student involved to actually solve the problem, you know, first of all, they have to identify that, you know, maybe the student doesn't agree, right, with what the problem is. That's what I think has been so remarkable in the Kimberly School District is to get the students involved in their own improvement activities. And the teachers are teaching them how to solve problems. Uh, which seems to make a lot of sense. 
uh, and solve their own uh, individual performance problems. So I think, I think the key is, again, we want to get everybody engaged and involved in solving problems, but we have to teach them how to do that. Doesn't necessarily come naturally. And so uh, whether it's in my organization or the uh, Maple View School or, you know, any place else, we still have to have a, an army of problem solvers. And in this case, I think it's both the students and the teachers and the principals and the superintendents. Two great examples, you know, of the way that of applying improvement. What we tend to hear right now in the middle of the pandemic is I need to wait. I don't want to do it right now. Right? I've got so much on my plate. So I think I'll ask both of you, John and Christina. John, I'll start with you. If our listeners haven't started that improvement journey yet, is it okay for them to start now, even in these disruptive times? Well, I've, I spend a lot of time with healthcare leaders. And I think that right now it's, can we get through the day? Uh, you know, they're under a huge amount of pressure as, as teachers are. Uh, are we going to, if we haven't had any training, if we haven't had any uh, exposure to building an improvement system and a management process that supports that, is now the best time to start? Probably not. If we have had some experience, can we focus the folks that are doing the real work, uh, help them focus and, and support them in identifying and solving problems? Absolutely. In fact, you know, we have a lot of great uh, examples of how using this thinking has identified thousands of ideas that have significantly improved the uh, safety of staff, the safety of patients uh, in, in healthcare organizations. So, you know, creating something brand new that nobody understands uh, at this st- stage of the game probably isn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Leveraging it, if you have, makes a lot of sense, but getting prepared to begin to change your culture is the thing that I would focus on at this point. You know, what, what are the things that I ought to be thinking about now? Because this pandemic is going to end. And how am I going to think and act differently once that happens? Yeah, thank you. Excellent. That's excellent advice there, John. So, Christina, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I'd like yeah. to second John, that we don't want to make the frontline workers' lives any more complicated than they already are. I think that that's a really important point. I think at the same time, we've been forced to be innovative in ways that we haven't been before because of the crisis. And while some of the problems that we're dealing with where we'll be really glad when they go away. I think we're also <laughs> learning some things about um, what we took for granted is necessary that we can see in the current state isn't necessary and actually might be better done in other ways. And so I think it's an opportunity for leaders to think about where they want to see the crisis as an inter- as an interruption and where this is an opportunity for disruption and um, to be ready to capitalize on the good disruption so that the new normal as we emerge from this actually represents some of the learning that we've had to do from adjusting in the crisis. I think the other thing is that without getting technical or trying to teach people an improvement system, I do think that focusing on process right now and trying to get the hassles and barriers out of the daily work of people who are just trying to focus on um, meeting student needs in any way that they can is a really important role for leaders to play. So I would encourage 
improvement thinking and taking seriously the role of making processes as simple and efficient and user-centered as possible without trying to take on a, a new program. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. So John, let's connect back. Let's pull it up just a little bit to refocus on leaders, specifically executive leaders. Um, So in your opinion, why do executive leaders tend to struggle with when trying to improve results and then sustain them over time? Well, I would guess, and I've done some work in education at, at at the superintendent executive level, that there are too many initiatives. We certainly see that in healthcare. And so part of, I mean, one of the principles is constancy of purpose. If we don't define what it is we really are going to work on, then we really don't accomplish much of anything because we got 10 times more things on the plate than we can possibly do. So if there's one thing that I would suggest leaders do today is really look at everything that's on the plate and try to get rid of 25% of the initiatives that you have in play right now. If you can do that, you will then free up the time to really focus on what Christine is talking about, which is developing and, and using improvement methods to really create better performance for the school and for the children. But unless the executives really look at everything that's on the plate and start to deselect, there's no bandwidth. And so that would be my one recommendation is let's get some things off the plate. Yes, absolutely. As we think about the the last two episodes and as we close today, you know, I'm just going to ask each of you what are one or two recommendations you have for leaders who are struggling to prioritize improvement as real work to be done. Um, so Christina, I'll start with you. you know, what are your one or two recommendations for leaders? Well, I think my first recommendation would be to start with yourself. And I'm going to John's book here, because I think that it's a really excellent guide for how to get started. And I think that the limits on how much an organization can improve are really um, have the seeds in um, how willing the leader is to change and grow in their own understanding and practice. And so I would say, start working on yourself, and that will lead to revelations about um, what your next steps need to be. I think the other piece is that when you're struggling to prioritize improvement, it implies that there's two good choices there. But really, if you don't make improvement the work, by default, you're choosing the status quo because the sustained improvement won't be possible. And none of us are serving every student well every day. And so if you're not making improvement the work, then you're choosing to spend your days being reactive rather than proactive on a lot of things. And you're choosing to accept that not every student is getting what they need and that there's frustration and waste built into your system that comes with lack of alignment behaviors and goals. And you're choosing to keep doing silver bullet programs every few years rather than doing the really hard work of systems change. And I just encourage you to think about what the alternative is and uh, choose to prioritize improvement as the real work that needs to be done to build organizational capacity if we're really serious about realizing our vision for kids. Thank you, Christina. John, your recommendations. Well, I absolutely echo exactly what Christina said. I mean, this starts with us as leaders. 
So you have to start with yourself. So it starts with you. An improvement culture starts with you. Uh, you have to dedicate and commit the time to understand what that means in terms of your own behavior. And that is the one thing that leaders can control. And so that is where I would start. Totally agree. And I also agree with the fact that improvement is a strategy at this point in education. Making it part of your strategic plan to build an improvement culture, that's what I did 20 years ago in healthcare. And I had to do that to get it to the level of commitment that we needed to actually change the organization. So I agree with Christina, it has to come front and center. Improvement is the work, but we've got to have a strategy that we agree to that improvement is going to be the work because that's where you'll start to build the, the cultural components of this and the technical components of this that'll make you successful. Thank you. Thank you both for your time and your knowledge and the conversations that you've had with each other and with me and what you've contributed to our listeners. It's been an honor for me to do this interview with the two of you, and I'm really appreciative of your time and expertise. Thank you, John, for being with us. And thank thank you, Christina. Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. As we close today, I just want to extend my deepest appreciation to John and Christina for taking time out of their busy schedules to to join us and to provide the information that they provided today. These are two of some of the best experts in the field in continuous improvement and the work that they've done over the years has made a huge difference in the professional fields of healthcare and education. I'm so appreciative of being able to connect with them as, a, as professionals, and I admire and honor the work that they do. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you connect to our future events. Destination High Performance is right around the corner in March. It's Destination High Performance West Coast. We also have weekly roundtables where we connect with our colleagues and share a topic and engage in conversation to learn more about how you're solving some of the most difficult problems that are out there today. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week, everyone.